Welcome to the Unite Church podcast. For more information about Unite Church, visit unitechurchak.org. Now enjoy this message. All right, Josh and Joni aren't here this week. They are celebrating their 28th wedding anniversary out somewhere in a, in a camper. We've been doing this Fear of the Lord series for about two months now. I'm going to try to wrap it up, okay? Hopefully this is, I don't know, maybe God's got something I'll say, but I'm thinking this is the last one. Last week's message from Pastor Josh was incredible about love and acceptance and discipline. How can God do all of those things at the same time? It's a foundational message, and so I really encourage you, if you didn't get to hear it, go back and listen to that message. Today, we are talking about the fear of the Lord is to tremble in his presence, and I don't know how to do it. So we're just going to try, okay? How many of you have received anything out of the fear of the Lord messages so far? Has this changed anybody's perspective? Anybody start living a little bit differently, thinking differently, living differently? Did I just say that twice? Living differently three times? Anybody start living differently four times? Maybe that's what we're supposed to do, start living differently. Anybody try that yet? The fear of the Lord makes me think differently, makes me walk differently, talk differently, live differently. It changes everything about my life because it changes my perspective on everything. We're going to start today with Jeremiah 5, 21, 25, and... Uh, don't take this as an insult. Ready? It may be about you. Hear this, you foolish, senseless people. That can't be about me. That's got to be about one of you guys. Hear this, you foolish, senseless people who have eyes but do not see. God gave us eyes, but we're blind as bats. Who have ears but do not hear. God gave us these things to hang earrings on, but we're deaf as a doorpost. Should you not fear me, declares the Lord. Should you not tremble in my presence. In other words, you can't see and you're deaf. You need to fear God because you don't know when he's around because you can't see and you can't hear. Do you hear what I'm saying? What if the Lord's presence is here and I'm so blind I can't see it? That should cause me to pause. What if the Lord's speaking right now and I'm so deaf I can't hear it? Pause. That's what he's saying here. What if? It says this in NLT, have you no respect for me? Why don't you tremble in my presence? We have a hard time with this. He goes on to say this, I made the sand a boundary for the sea, an everlasting barrier it cannot cross. The waves may roll, but they cannot prevail. They may roar, but they cannot cross it. In other words, the, God's saying, the oceans submit to me. And then watch what he says next. But these people have stubborn and rebellious hearts. The ocean submits to me, he says, but people don't. This is baffling to the Lord. How can I control the ocean, but I can't get through to you guys? I'm, I'm, I'm including myself. He says, they do not say to themselves, let us fear the Lord our God. The New Living Translation says, they do not say from their heart, let us live in the awe of God. This is what we've been doing for the last few weeks. We've been saying, guys, wouldn't it be awesome if we lived in the awe of God? Wouldn't it be incredible if we lived in the awe of God? Guys, wouldn't our lives be blessed if we lived in the awe of God, if we lived every moment like he was actually 
here right beside us. It goes on to say this. Oh, where am I? They do not say to themselves, let us fear the Lord our God who gives autumn and spring rains and season, who assures us of the regular weeks of harvest. He says this, your wrongdoings have kept these things away. Uh, Climate change, by the way, partly our fault because we're sinners. Your sins have deprived you of good. God has good for us. And part of us getting that good for us is walking in a healthy reverence in the fear of the Lord. And what this says is what that means is trembling in his presence. Trembling in his presence. Like, does that mean that when God's around, I... Does that mean I get, like, the holy shivers? Does that mean I get goosebumps? The word tremble in Hebrew has several different meanings. It's usually this word, ragaz. It means to quiver with violent emotions. Have you ever been in worship and you felt like something happened and suddenly your emotions started to unravel? We were just worshiping a moment ago and I just started to leak, like tears started coming out of my eyes. Why is that? Because there's something about my emotions that trembled in the presence of the heart God, the God who invented emotion. People think that God is all intellect, that he has no heart. He's the heart God. And the closer he comes to me and the, the more he's in my life, the more my heart responds. It trembles in his presence. This is pretty cool. Tremble means to fall out. Have you ever seen somebody in the presence of God just go, and they just fall down on the ground? Jennifer did that during worship one time, and the whole congregation thought I hit her in the head with my guitar and knocked her out. (laughs) That it wasn't me. It was just Jesus. By the way, I don't believe in catchers. If the Lord knocks you down, the Lord can catch you. (laughs) If you're faking it, God be with you. Catchers, you know, people that the Lord touches don't hurt themselves. But people who are faking might get a concussion. That's between you and Jesus. Tremble means to be afraid. It means to stand in awe. It means the utmost respect. It means that I revere when the Lord is near. But how do I know when he's near? Is he here right now? How do you know that? Oh my gosh, there's a genius over here. She, she, just said, she just said, the Bible says that where two or more are gathered in my name, I am there. But do we act like he's here? Do we act like he's in our living room? Do we act like he's in our bedroom? Do we act like he's in our bathroom? Do we act like he's in our car with us? Do we act like he's in our workplace with us? Do we live like God is near? I'm going to tell you a Jennifer story. This is, this is Jennifer, she's the best stories. She's got... Jennifer and I, we were first married, and, and we go to her daddy's church. The first church I ever worked for was her daddy's church. He's, he's going to be here pretty soon. He's a great man of God. And we would go over there sometimes, and we would just pray together over the sanctuary for the next day, for Sundays. So I would always pray. I would always walk around. I still do this. I was here last night praying over this room. You may not have felt it, but you walked by two angels if you came by that door. You may not have felt it, but you walked by two angels if you came by that door. You know how I know they're there? Because I asked God to put them there. 
I asked the Lord to put guarding angels over these doors so no wicked thing would be permitted into this room so that you can hear the word of God and respond to it. This place is sanctuary. The Holy Spirit is in this room, and you may not even sense it, but that doesn't mean he's not here because we've been walking around here asking him to show up. So I was doing that in, in Jen's dad's church, and I was walking around the sanctuary, and there was one light on in the whole sanctuary, and it was over the piano. And Jennifer went over, and she sat down at the piano, and she was playing at the piano, so beautiful. And she started singing praises to the Lord and just worshiping. And I finished praying over the sanctuary, and so I went out and I started praying over the foyer, and then I went back and prayed over all the kids' rooms, and then I went back and I prayed uh, over the social hall, and when I was done, I walked back to the sanctuary, and Jen is still sitting there in the dark playing at the piano, and it was so beautiful, and I had this really good idea. I thought, wouldn't it be funny? Wouldn't it be funny if I snuck up on Jennifer while she's sitting there all alone in the house of God and, and playing worship? And so I didn't want to go down the aisle to the right or the left or the middle because she might see me. So I got down on my stomach and I slithered like a snake under the pews. All the way from the back of the sanctuary, I slithered all the way down underneath all of the pews, just low crawled as she's sitting there and she's worshiping Jesus. And then I got here at the front. It was just like the Grinch. And, and I slunked across the front of the sanctuary because the piano is right there, a big old grand piano. She couldn't see me because she was playing and worshiping Jesus. But you know what? Sometimes the devil sneaks up on you when you're doing stuff like that. So here I come and I'm slinking and I'm, I'm slithering up and I got underneath the piano and I'm sitting there, laying there underneath the piano and her feet were right there in front of me and she she was working the pedals with her feet, and it was so beautiful, and I thought, oh, I could just stay here forever, and then I grabbed her, <laughs> and, and she, she assumed she was alone in the room, but was she alone in the room? No, she did not perceive that there was another presence in the room with her. So when I grabbed her by the ankle, this is really sad. I grabbed her by the ankle and I expected to get kicked in the face, you know. I expected her to go, Wah! but what happened is I grabbed her by the ankle and then everything went quiet. And all I can see is her feet. And then I just heard, And then I, I jumped up and I went and I was like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, 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 I'm sorry. I didn't mean to make you cry. It wasn't funny. She didn't think it was funny. Jesus didn't think it was funny. Nobody thought it was funny. And by the way, I used to be a terrible husband. That's her old husband. Her new husband doesn't do things like that anymore because he's much more sensitive to her needs. I actually try really hard not to scare her because she does not consider that romance. So... Mm. What's the point? The point is this. She didn't perceive that I was in the room. But was I in the room? Is it possible that Jesus is as close to you right now as I was to Jennifer underneath that piano getting ready to grab her ankle? And you know what? He is in your heart. By the way, that's sanctuary too. That's holy ground too. And if you knew that God was that close, what would you be doing right now? That's an interesting question, Zach. Is it possible that he could be that close and we don't even sense it? Do you know that, that our sensors are broken? We think we're the smartest creatures in all creation, but in reality, we're probably the dumbest creatures in all creation. 
We have worse sensors than any other creature in all of creation. I'll show you why in just a little while. But just, just scientifically speaking, I was an astronomy minor, and I had to take all kinds of classes that baffled my brain. And, and in one of those classes, I learned about this stuff called dark matter. Have you ever heard of dark matter? Scientists study the amount of light that comes out of the universe, and by studying that light, they can estimate the mass of a large object like a galaxy or a star cluster. And once they estimate the mass of that galaxy or star cluster, they can also estimate how much gravity it takes to hold it together. Because it takes gravity to hold a galaxy together. If you ever like, if you've been swinging something like a rope, and then you let go of it, it it flies off. Galaxies are exactly like that. All of the solar systems are spinning around just like that rope. Something has to be holding on to them or they'd fly off into nothingness. Our solar system is the exact same way. Something has to be holding our planets around the sun or it'd fly off into nothingness. That's gravity. Well, scientists figure out how much mass is in the galaxy and how much gravity it takes to hold it so it doesn't fly off into nothingness. And what they've figured out is there's not enough matter to hold all of the galaxies together. In fact, they used to think there's about 85% of matter missing. When you look into space and you see darkness, there's something there. So what they called this stuff is dark matter because it doesn't emit light and it doesn't react to light, but they know that there is something there that is massive and energetic because if it wasn't, the whole universe would go flying off in all directions. There's something holding it together. Now we have better numbers and better instruments than we did then. It turns out, get this, this is crazy, 95% of all matter in the universe is completely imperceptible to us. I'm not talking about the spirit world. I'm not talking about another dimension. I'm talking about matter. 95% of everything, you're absolutely incapable of sensing. You can't see it. You can't feel it. You can't tell it's out there. Guys, you know what that means? It means everything on earth, everything that you observe, everything that you can consider normal matter is only 5% of what exists. Every planet, every star, every microscopic little thing, every person in this room, every car, every building, every plant, all of the earth, all of the solar systems, everything we think we see is only maybe 5%. That tells me human beings are utterly and totally and hopelessly stupid. (laughs) I was going to say blind, but since you just went ahead and said it, stupid. We are stupid. We think we know, but we don't. Much more exists than we can perceive. 95% of the matter in the universe, we don't perceive. So when people tell me things like, I don't believe in demons. Why? I've never seen one. That's stupid. I don't believe in angels. Why? I've never seen one. That's stupid. I don't believe in God. Why? Where's the evidence? Listen, stupid. (laughs) Listen, our intellect is infantile. We are naked mole rats. All we see is the dirt right in front of our face, and if you asked us, we would think we see everything there is. 
And even our best scientists are utterly blind. Infants playing in the sandbox. Do you understand? We don't see. We're talking about everything. Okay, so you guys remember the story of Jacob? Uh, let me ask you a question. If I go back to my notes over and over again, it's because my brain is boggled right now. Most of the time, you don't sense the presence of God. If I don't, per- if I don't even perceive the existence of 95% of matter, how on earth can I expect to perceive the presence of God? And if I don't perceive the presence of God, it's an absolute miracle when I do. Because my perceptors are broken. You guys remember the story of Jacob? Jacob was running from his brother Esau. And the reason he was running from his brother Esau is because Esau was trying to kill him because Jacob had bilked him out of his entire inheritance. This is like sibling rivalry type stuff. The little brother irritated the big brother, has to run away because he wants to kill him. And he actually deserves to get killed because he was a complete jerk. So he's running away and he goes up onto this high desert and Jacob is looking around and there's nothing around him but rocks. There's no people, there's no trees. And he takes one of those rocks and he sits it under his head and he uses that as a pillow and he falls asleep. Do you remember the story? And as he's sleeping, the Lord reveals himself to him in a dream. And in his dream, he sees that there's a staircase where the rock is and that angels are going up and down the staircase. He didn't see that when he was awake. And then the Lord speaks to him, and the Lord begins to give him promises about how many offspring he's going to have, about how blessed he's going to be, about the nation that he's going to build out of this broken, jacked-up dude. And this is where we find him in Genesis 28, 15 through 17. God continues talking to him and says, what's more, I'm with you. Jacob didn't perceive that God was with him. It didn't look like anybody was with him. And I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you. Jacob didn't even perceive that God was with him, and he's telling him, I won't leave you until I have finished giving you everything I promised. Now watch this. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord was in this place, and I wasn't even aware of it. But he was also afraid. This is where fear and trembling comes in. Because when the Lord is with you and you aren't even aware of it, you do things that are embarrassing to do in the presence of God. I say things that are embarrassing to say in the presence of God. I think things that are embarrassing to think in the presence of God. So suddenly he's like, oh, that's scary. What an awesome place this is. It's none other than the house of God, the very gateway of heaven. What he didn't realize is every spot on earth is a gateway of heaven. That just happened to be where he laid his head that night, and God showed him he was there. But God is in your seat right now, and there's a gateway to heaven right where you're sitting. What if that made you go, whoa? The presence of the Lord is here, and I didn't perceive it. I just sat on the gateway to heaven. He's close. If he's close, does it change the way I think? Does it change the way I act? Does it change the way I live? How many times have we been in the presence of God and not even known that we were? What if he's here right now? If only we'd known. You know, Because we can't perceive it, often we don't believe it, so then we won't receive it. That's what the world's like. Because they can't perceive it, they don't believe it, and they won't receive it. This is what I'm praying. Lord, let us perceive it. You guys okay? 
All right, everything in, the pres- everything in God's creation is better at noticing his presence than we are. Did, did you know that, that demons are better at perceiving the presence of God than, than I am? Do you know that demons are better at perceiving the presence of God than you are? Do you remember the story of Jesus when he was coming to the region of the Decapolis? He gets out of the boat, he sets his foot on the shore, and a man comes running down from the tombs and falls at his feet. It turns out that that man's got a legion of demons inside of him. And the reason that he fell at his feet is because the demons perceived that the presence of God had just come into that region. You know who wasn't on their faces that day? 12 disciples, because the demons perceived what the disciples didn't perceive. Why am I telling you that? Because, guys, we are some of the densest, least perceptive things in all of creation, and we think we know it all. Demons perceive the presence, and we miss it. What about this? Did you know that nature perceives the presence of God, and we miss it? Have you ever wondered how Jesus could walk on water? Jesus could walk on water because water perceived the presence of its creator. When Jesus stepped out onto the water, water perceived Jesus Christ was there when when water was created. Through Jesus Christ, water was created. So when he stepped out on the water, the water held him because the water perceived that his creator was there. You know who didn't perceive that they were in the presence of God? The disciples. They saw him walking across the waters, and they were scared to death because they thought it was a ghost. They didn't perceive that they were in the presence of God. But the water perceived it. Do you remember Jesus being asleep at the front of a boat while there's a storm raging? You know why he was sleeping? He was tired. Okay. He was sleeping because he was tired. But you know why else he was sleeping? Because Jesus created storms. You have nothing to fear from the thing you made. Why would he be afraid of a storm? So he's sleeping like a baby. And his disciples don't perceive that they're in the presence of God. And they say, wake up. Don't you care that we're about to die? And he gets up and he he looks around at the storm and he goes, all right, that's enough. Quit that. And it just stops. And the disciples are in wonder. Why? The storm perceived that it was in the presence of God, but the people didn't perceive they're in the presence of God. Listen, we have a hard time perceiving. We come into this place and we wait till we hear the right song, and then we're like, ah, the presence of God showed up. No, the presence of God didn't show up. You just showed up. We wait till somebody says something that we like, and we're like, ah, I felt that, felt the presence of God. That wasn't the presence of God showing up. That was your heart beginning to attend the presence of God. He's already here. And because you're a believer, he's going to go with you when you go out there. Tremble at the presence of God. First, I got to perceive that there even is a presence of God. Nahum 1.5 says, The mountains quake before him and the hills melt away. The earth trembles at his presence, the world and all who live in it. Ezekiel 38, uh, 38.20, The fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the beasts of the field, every creature that moves along the ground perceives, and all the people on the face of the earth will tremble at my presence. Everything on earth perceives it before we do, but everything will tremble at his presence. We're really kind of foolish if we think that what we see is all that there is, right? Because what I see is only even a percentage of a percentage of a very small percentage of all that exists. So I'm going to tell you a a bad assumption. Here's a really bad assumption. We do it all the time. We don't think we do it, but we do it somewhere in the back of our head. Somewhere in the back of our head, I assume 
God isn't here right now. He really can't see me. We, you, okay, you guys are so quiet. You don't have any hidden sins? Am I the only person that thinks I can have a secret thought? That it's even possible? Am I the only person who thinks I could possibly have a secret sin? That we think that if we sneak into the dark and we do a thing that God doesn't notice when he's sitting there beside us. He's actually right there. This is a really bad assumption. He addresses this. Let's see, where is this? This is in Isaiah 29. He says, what sorrow awaits those who try to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their evil deeds in the dark. You might as well do it in front of everybody because it's not hidden. It says, the Lord, the Lord can't see us, they say. He doesn't know what's going on. <laughs> Just because, the, it's because I can't perceive him doesn't mean he can't perceive me. The Lord can't see us, they say. He doesn't know what's going on. Watch this. How foolish can you be? You seriously think God's not there? Have you ever seen somebody putting on their makeup during worship? I saw a lady putting on her makeup during worship one time, and, and you know what rose up in my heart? I just want to smack that thing right out of her hand. You ever seen somebody playing a video game during worship? Surfing during worship? Hey, I'm not, I'm, I'm not judging you. It's just, is the Lord here? Is the Lord here? You guys are awful quiet today. It's a bad assumption. He isn't here. Here's a good assumption. Here's a good assumption. God's here. I want to read you Psalm 139. You guys know this. This is a Psalm of David. He says, Oh Lord, you've examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. How does he see all this stuff? He can't see us. He's not close. You know everything I do. How's that even possible? You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord? You go before me and you follow me. How is it possible that he could go before me and he could follow me unless he's in both places at once? Can he be in both places at once? You mean when you leave the sanctuary, he doesn't stay here? You mean he's not going to stay here so you can go do whatever you want to? So I can, so I can go home and, and beat my kids? You guys don't think anything's funny. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from the Spirit. This is what I need to know. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you're there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. You can't outrun Jesus. You can't hide from him. You can't get away from him. If he wants you, he's going to follow you. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. While I was growing inside of my mom, what this, what this says is God was there. He was there, and he was, he was working me together. 
He was making me into a person. He made my heart beat. He, he, he made me a redhead, which I wasn't always grateful for. He, he made me so I can't tan, which I wasn't always grateful for. But he also gave me some wonderful things in my life. He made me on purpose. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. How can he watch you in your mother's womb? Because he's there. Your mom's womb was the gateway to heaven. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every morning, every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. God's presence is everywhere. When I was running around acting like a fool, guess where God was? He was with me. Oh, my gosh. If I'd known that, I would have been scared out of my mind. He was with me. He was watching the whole time. In fact, there are so many times that he kept me from dying. I drove off an overpass one time. You know where God was? That's where God was. I fell off a cliff one time. You know where God was? That's where God was. God was there the whole time. The reason I'm alive right now is because God knew that he didn't want me to die before I received Jesus Christ, and he never left me alone. I tried to run, and I tried to run, and I tried to run, and Jesus Christ hounded me. He wouldn't stop. It gives me a lot of hope to know that the people in my life who are having trouble and are running from Jesus, he's going to hound them. He's going to run them down. He's going to follow them. He won't leave them alone. He's so close to them. He's close enough to, mm. and there are a few people I'm hoping he does. Mm. Just do that. So if God's presence is everywhere, how do I behave in the presence of God? Um, I want to tell you another story, and, and then we're going to, do you remember the story of Moses? This is in Exodus 3. Moses knew that he was called to be the deliverer of Israel. He was, among his generation, the only child his age that was saved because his mom put him in a basket in the Nile, and the daughter of Pharaoh pulled him out of the Nile and adopted him. He became a prince in Egypt, and he knew that he was there for a special reason to lead God's people out of captivity. He took matters into his own hands, and he killed an Egyptian. He knew that people found out about it. It scared him to death, so he ran into the desert. For 40 years, he hid from his calling in the desert. For 40 years, he hid from God in the desert. Some of you guys have callings, and you know it, and you're just hiding in the desert. So one day, he's out there being a shepherd of his, he was a prince, and he became a shepherd of his father-in-law's sheep. They weren't even his sheep. He didn't even own anything. He went from being one of the richest people in the world to being one of the poorest people in the world, completely satisfied, hiding out from what he felt called to do. So he's watching his father-in-law's sheep, and a bush is burning, but it's not being consumed. And he thinks, I'm going to go over and see what that wonderful thing is. There's a bush over there burning, and it's not being consumed. So he walks over to the bush, and when he gets to the bush, God speaks to him. God tells him his name. His name is I am. In Hebrew, you know what I am means? It means the present one. What God is telling him is you thought you ran from me, but I was always present. And now I'm introducing myself to you. I am the present one. Do you know what I am means in English? 
It means you're not. <laughs> I am means you're not. I'm not what? You're not in charge, dude. I am. So this is what God, what God did to Moses. This is incredible. And this is, this is what we need to do in the presence of a holy God, okay? When God spoke to Moses, the first thing he said, do you remember the very first thing he said? Anybody? He said, take off, that's right, I heard you. He said, take off your shoes because you're standing on holy ground. Now listen, we have all kinds of assumptions of why God told Moses to take off his shoes. But let me tell you a few things that God was speaking to Moses because God was speaking Moses' language. God was speaking Moses' language because Moses knew exactly what that meant. In the East, when you owned a piece of property and you were selling it to someone else, the person who was selling it would lift their foot off of the property and the person who was buying it would stomp on it. And that said, mine. You putting your sandal on the ground said, mine. In Israel, when you were selling property to someone else, you would take off your sandal and give them your sandal. You're giving them the authority to own the land that they walk on. So when God tells him to take off his shoes, the first thing he's saying is, Moses, you're on holy ground. This is not yours. When you're in the presence of the Lord, the first thing I need to understand is this is not mine. Moses, you're not the owner. I am. That's the first thing. That's good. Come on. Moses was a prince. Listen, in, his, in Egypt, when he was a prince in Egypt, every time somebody came to his seat of authority, they never one time came with their shoes on. You know why? Because when servants in Egypt come towards their masters, they come barefooted. So when God tells him to take his shoes off, what he's saying is, you're not in charge anymore. You're not the master. In this place, you're the servant. He tells him to take off his shoes because he's, he's saying, Moses, you're not the master. I am. Are you okay? And then the third reason is in Israel, if you're going to serve as priest, before you go into the Holy of Holies, you wash your hands and your feet, and the priest would go into the Holy of Holies barefooted because there was no ownership of his in the Holy of Holies. When a priest approaches God, he does it with his shoes off. Why? What is God saying to Moses? He's saying, God, you're not the center of the universe. I am. Moses, you're not God. I am. Three things it communicated. You're not the owner. I am. You're not the master. I am. You're not God. I am. Guys, every time a person with the fear of the Lord comes before the Lord, this is the transformation that happens in the heart. I'm not the owner, you are. I'm not the master, you are. I'm not God, you are. And if we do not perceive the presence of God, it may be that in our hearts we haven't taken our sandals off yet. Are you, are you here? In our hearts, we haven't taken off our own will and laid it at the feet of God. How ironic is it that when Jesus went to the cross, they stripped him? Do you know when they stripped him, they stripped him of everything? You know what he wasn't wearing on his feet? Shoes. 
When they took him to the cross, how ironic is it that the owner, the master, the maker of the entire universe, when they took him to the cross, they took him barefooted. They nailed his feet to the ground. And when they lifted him up off the ground, his foot lifted off the ground. What were they saying to the creator of the universe? You're not the owner. You're not the master. You're not God. I am. That's what creation was saying to the God of the entire universe. And Jesus let them do it. He let them lift him off of his own creation. Now watch this. This is Philippians 2, 5 through 12. In your relationships with, I'm sorry, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. How is Jesus able to say, not my will, but yours be done? Because in Jesus' heart, he'd taken off his sandals before God. In Jesus' heart, he'd taken off his sandals before his father, and he'd said, all right, you're the owner. All right, you're God. All right, you're the master. If you want me to go to the cross, I'll obey even to the death. That's what this is saying. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. That's the story of Jesus. Even he took off his authority. You know that nobody standing around that cross perceived that they were in the presence of God, but they were in the presence of God. I want to perceive it. A few weeks ago, I told you a story. Um, and if you missed it, you, you can go back and listen to it. We did a message on trembling at his word, and I gave my testimony, and, and I shared about how I came to meet Jesus I'm not going to share all of that, but there's another part of the testimony that's kind of important I didn't tell you. Um, I, 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 had a, I had a serious problem that I couldn't do anything about. You, you know, there, there are some problems that you can fix, and there's some problems that you can't fix. You can't disciple a demon. Did you know that? You have to cast out a demon, and, and you can't cast out sin. You have to discipline sin. So there's part of my life that I'm responsible to, but there's part of my life that God's responsible to take care of because I can't do very much about it. And when I was a little bitty kid, I got beat up really bad one time and I was completely humiliated. And in my humiliation and in my sorrow and in my anger, I made a vow in my heart that I was never going to lose another fight as, as long as I lived. And something happened inside of me. Something came into me. And some of you guys are going to be able to relate to what I'm saying. A rage came into me. And it didn't happen all the time, but every once in a while, something would happen, and it would click, and I would see red go down over my eyes. And when red came down over my eyes, it was like I went on autopilot. It was like I was watching my life on a screen, and I was out of my body, and something else took over. And it was like the Tasmanian devil. And I would do things that were terrible. And it never lasted long. It was really quick, but it was always very violent. And I couldn't control it. Before I got saved, something, I, I, knew, I, knew, I was scared to death because I was afraid that I was going to kill somebody that I cared about. And before I got saved, I, I nearly did. I almost killed somebody that I love very much. And it made me think I was a monster. It, it made me think that 
that I couldn't control myself and, and maybe I needed to be somewhere that I was safe from people and that they were safe from me. I was thinking this is the one thing that I'm never gonna be able to change. Maybe I, maybe I can change a lot of my habits, but this is the one thing I can't change. And what I knew, even from the time that I was a teenager, I knew that there was another spirit inside of me. People used to tell me, I see something in your eyes. It would, it would scare them. There was a demon inside of me. You may not believe in demons, but if you can relate to what I'm talking about, you know. You know what I'm talking about. I'm talking to you. There was a demon inside of me, and that demon gave me strength. It gave me power. It kept me safe from people who were bigger and meaner than I was. It made me attractive to girls because there was a dark aspect that people were attracted to. I was using it and it was using me, but it came to the point that I knew that it was destroying my life and there's nothing I could do about it. When I met Jesus, when I finally came to the point where I was convicted of my sin, when I finally came to the point that I realized because of what I'd done, I deserved to go to hell, God did something about that spirit that I couldn't do. I told you a couple weeks ago, I was laying in the, in the grass at Laguna Gloria Art Museum in Austin, Texas, and the person that I loved was gonna go to hell, and I knew it. And I knew that God was hounding me, and I knew that he was trying to get my attention, but I didn't know what to do about it, and I loved her more than I loved him. So I told him, I know you want my attention, but I love her more than I love you. If she's gonna go to hell, I'm gonna go to hell too. And I told you this a couple weeks ago, a light opened up in the sky and I was surrounded by this light that was brighter than the sun. And in the midst of that light was a figure standing. And as soon as he opened his mouth, I recognized, I perceived God. He opened his mouth. I just said, if she's gonna go to hell, I wanna go to hell too. And he said, that's how much I love you. Now, the only thing that came out of my mouth at that moment was, if you love me that much, I'll do anything you want me to for the rest of my life. I didn't know to pray the prayer of salvation. I didn't know that there were certain words I had to go through. All I knew is I was standing in the presence of God. I perceived it. And in the presence of God, something inside of me trembled and my will was humbled before the Lord. I'll do anything you want me to for the rest of my life. What I didn't realize was in that moment, this is what I was doing. In my heart, all of my authority, I'm not the owner anymore. You are. I'm not the master anymore. You are. You get it? This is gross. <laughs> I'm not God. You are. How many of us acknowledge Jesus is the Son of God, but in our hearts we haven't taken our sandals off yet? And when I did that, when I allowed my will to be broken before the Lord and I took my sandals off, I gave him ownership. I gave him mastership. I gave him lordship. I gave him godhood in my life. When I did that, I didn't, it was so gentle. I didn't, it didn't blow me off my feet. I didn't get, I didn't get 
I didn't get shivers all over my body. Something happened miraculous. I didn't even perceive it. The Spirit of God came inside of me. The reason we can't perceive the Spirit of God is because our spirits are dead. And when I received Jesus Christ, my spirit woke up. And he came inside of me. And I didn't even realize it at the time, but that demon that had been haunting me and following me my entire life, when Jesus came in, it just snapped out of me like that. It was just gone. I couldn't control my temper. I couldn't control it because there was something else inside of me that was controlling me. And I didn't know it for weeks. I was just going through life and I felt happy. I was in love. My life was changed. I was walking with Jesus. And one day I was at home at my parents' house. I'd come back from college and I was sitting around playing a video game with my brother and a bunch of his buddies and I, I'm terrible at video games. It frustrates me because I'm so bad and they were all destroying me and I did something good in this video game. I killed somebody or something like that in the video game and one of the guys in the room came up and told me I did a good job and slapped me on the shoulder and I just kept playing the video game. And after a moment, I realized that the room was very, very quiet. And I looked around, and my brother and all of his friends were around the corner of the room away from me. And I was like, what are you guys doing? And my brother just had his jaw dropped and his eyes open, and he said, he just touched you, and you didn't kill him. And I thought, he just touched me, and I didn't kill him. He just touched me, and I didn't kill him. He just touched me and I didn't kill him. It was the first time that I realized that I had been delivered from a freaking demon. And it happened because the demon perceived the presence of God in my life. And just like the one that came and fell at the feet of Jesus Christ, it submitted itself. And it left because God came in. You know what happened? I became holy ground. My life became holy ground. This is what the fear of the Lord is. This is why the people of God tremble at the fear of the Lord. Demons tremble in the presence of God. Nature trembles at the presence of God. My flesh trembles at the presence of God. Trembling at the presence of God means I throw everything down. I completely humble myself. I'm overawed, and I totally submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The reason we've been talking about this for two months is because at Unite Church, this is who we are. As a community of believers, this is who we are. We're who we want to be, who we're striving to be, who in our hearts we desire to be. Are you with me? I want to be a person who fears the Lord. I want to be a person who's throwing his sandals off. I want to be a person who's so utterly overwhelmed by the Spirit of God that there is no other creepy crawly that can live inside of me anymore. If God did it for me, he can do it for you. I don't even understand exactly what happened. I didn't even know it happened at the time because he was so gentle. But I tell you this, the more the presence of God is inside something, the less the presence of darkness can be inside of that thing. And the more the presence of God is inside you, the less the presence of darkness can be inside of you. And all it takes is just enough faith to take your sandals off. As I was preparing for this, I, I just started like praying something out loud. It's kind of a declaration. And so I put it on a slide. And I wonder if you guys believe this, 
Are you interested in declaring something kind of powerful with me? I'm going to read it over, and then what I want to do um, is I want to add, did you guys put this up? You know what I'm talking about, the thing that was in blue? There you go. I'm going to read over it, and then if you agree, declare it with me, okay? It says, we're the people of Unite Church. We hold God in awe. We revere his son's name above every name. We honor his presence above every presence. We respect his word over every opinion. We revere his truth over anyone else's truth. We pursue his desire over every other desire. Everyone, no matter what we've done, how we're broken, or how we've sinned, is welcomed and valued and loved at Unite Church. But this is holy ground, because in this place, Jesus is Lord. What's okay out there isn't okay on holy ground. We're not like the rest of the world. We're a good kind of different. There's more. Flip it, guys. There's not more? There it is. Because we're Christians, the people of the Most High God, and we fear God. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at unitechurchak.org. We hope to see you soon.